Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The jury reaches a verdict for two men on trial for the plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer in 2020. They found the two men not guilty. The White House celebrates Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson's confirmation to the Supreme Court today. President Biden calls it a historical moment. Jackson credits her success to her faith. In eastern Ukraine, at least 50 people were killed in a missile strike today at a railway station. That's according to Ukrainian officials. But Russian officials are blaming the Ukrainian military for the attack. Ukrainian officials say hundreds of civilians have died as a result of the Russian invasion. And now forensic experts are working to identify bodies, providing information that could be used in war crimes investigations. And new information on the Fox News reporter who was injured in Ukraine during an attack that left two of his colleagues dead. It seems he escaped with his life, but unfortunately not all of his limbs. A federal jury in Michigan has acquitted two of the four men charged in the plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer in 2020. But the jury was deadlocked on the same charges for the other two men. NTD's Allison Lee has the latest on the case. The 12-member jury on Friday found Brandon Caserta and Daniel Harris not guilty of kidnapping conspiracy charges. The jury also found Harris not guilty of conspiracy to use explosives. The jury was not able to reach a verdict for Adam Fox or Barry Croft Jr. U.S. District Judge Robert Jonker declared a mistrial for those two defendants. But we still believe in the jury system. Uh, and really, there's not too much more I could say at this time. I appreciate the time the jury put in. This is a lot of evidence, deliberated quite a bit. Uh, we have two defendants that are awaiting trial. We'll get back to work on that. The prosecutors alleged that six men, including the four defendants, planned to kidnap Whitmer from her vacation house in October 2020 and start a new civil war. Prosecutors say the men were driven by fury over the governor's pandemic restrictions. The defense attorneys argued that the government used FBI informants and undercover agents to encourage the plot. They say FBI agents were hoping to entrap the defendants in the alleged crimes because of their political views. The Michigan governor's office reacted to the verdict saying, Today, Michiganders and Americans, especially our children, are living through the normalization of political violence. There must be accountability and consequences for those who commit crimes. Without accountability, extremists will be emboldened. Allison Lee, NTD News. Today, the White House celebrated Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson's confirmation to the Supreme Court. President Joe Biden calling it a historical moment. A day after the Senate's confirmation, Biden and Harris celebrated with Jackson at the Rose Garden. We're going to look back and see this as a moment of real change in American history. Jackson is the first black woman to serve on the nation's highest court. First, as always, I have to give thanks to God for delivering me as promised. The Senate voted 53 to 47 on Jackson's confirmation. Biden commended the three Republican senators who joined Democrats to vote Jackson in. Senators Susan Collins, Mitt Romney and Lisa Murkowski casted their vote for Jackson to be the next Supreme Court justice alongside all Democrats. Biden slammed other Republicans for the tough line of questioning Jackson faced during the hearings. 
Over the past 40 days, Republicans have questioned gaps in Jackson's record and her lacking of judicial philosophy. Based on her record, I believe she will prove to be the furthest left of any justice to have ever served on the Supreme Court. Jackson will take the bench later this year, replacing retiring Justice Stephen Breyer. The Biden administration says electric vehicles and renewable energy are the future. But Biden acknowledges one problem. Right now, China dominates the green energy market. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill are now trying to pave a way to produce clean energy products back home in the U.S. NTD's Melina Weiskup has the details. Rising gas prices have left an opening for the Biden administration to push for a swifter transition to green energy. However, right now, China has cornered the market. However, with China's dominance over the critical minerals required for the EVs, I have grave concerns about moving too quickly towards an EV-only future. China is responsible for 80% of the world's battery material processing. Lawmakers have raised concerns about China's human rights record. The Chinese Communist Party uses forced labor. There's also a national security issue. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill are now trying to find ways to ramp up production in America. Senators Manchin and Reich today introduced a bill to promote American nuclear energy without relying on China and Russia. These two countries currently dominate the international nuclear energy market. And Senators Marco Rubio and Cindy Hyde-Smith introduced a bill to develop rare earth manufacturing centers in the U.S. As we've noted, we don't have many of those critical manufacturing industries today. Uh, they exist entirely in Asia. To support more U.S. production, Manchin calls on environmental groups to get on board and stop filing lawsuits, which can block a new mine from operating for up to 10 years. But extracting minerals are only one piece of the puzzle. Right now, one of the deficits in the critical mineral space is that no matter where those minerals are extracted, much of that goes to China for processing. And so the more that we reshore processing, the more we can sustainably uh, provide manufacturers here a base for their critical mineral needs. He lists a number of companies that are working towards processing minerals. President Biden's goal is to make half of all U.S. vehicles electric by 2030. But how long would it take to get there? Experts in the industry have varying responses. It's almost impossible to get there, not just in terms of the United States providing those, but uh, globally. Um, our effort is to develop a circular economy for electric vehicles and electric vehicle batteries by the 2040, 2050 timeframe. We see a pathway where we can domestically source all these key critical minerals for millions and millions of EVs a year in just a few years. And many in the clean energy field have said that President Biden has taken a crucial step toward producing green energy products here at home by invoking the Defense Production Act. But some critics are skeptical that this action will have the intended effect. So we'll see in the time ahead if President Biden's latest action here does make a splash in the green energy market. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. In Pennsylvania, registered Democrats are switching parties at a higher rate than in five other states. That's according to a recent report that examined voter data in six states. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. Some voters in Pennsylvania are doing something they haven't done in decades. Democrat voters in Pennsylvania are registering Republican at four times the rate of conversions the other way around. 
News outlet Reuters reported that out of registration data from six states, Republican advance in voter registration was most evident in Pennsylvania, where it's on track to be the highest conversion rate in at least a decade. Charles Bullock, a professor of political science, says this conversion is part of a bigger trend, particularly in Florida. Now, Florida is particularly significant because it is the nation's biggest prize. By that, I mean it is the toss-up state or swing state, which is the biggest reward. It has, for a presidential year, the most uh, electors. But in a non-presidential year, it's going to have a very big uh, Senate contest, got a gubernatorial contest, and also picked up a new congressional contest. So there's lots on the line in Florida, uh, more so than, than, say, in most states this year. He says the conversion to Republican in Pennsylvania will likely continue due to growing dissatisfaction with President Joe Biden. Retired Philadelphia police officer Beth Jones said she got fed up and felt like there had to be a better way. Last month, she registered Republican, ending 30 years with the Democratic Party because of concerns over inflation and violent crimes. The deputy chair for the Pennsylvania Republican Party says the gains point toward a strong showing for the party. Pennsylvania's registered Democrats still outnumber Republicans by more than half a million, but the long-held Democratic advantage is narrowing. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Documents from Pfizer show that the drug maker hired 600 employees in early 2021 to deal with the large increase in reported side effects linked to their vaccine. This was shortly after the FDA authorized Pfizer's vaccine. The document says Pfizer has, quote, taken multiple actions to help alleviate the large increase of adverse event reports. This includes significant technology enhancements and process and workflow solutions, as well as increasing the number of data entry and case processing colleagues. The document came from the first quarter of 2021, and Pfizer did send it to the FDA, but it wasn't made public until the FDA was sued over documents related to their approval process of the Pfizer vaccine. When the document was produced, Pfizer had hired about 600 extra full-time workers to deal with the jump in side effects. And they planned to hire a total of more than 1,800 additional workers by the end of June 2021. Ukraine officials say at least 50 people were killed in a missile strike today at a railway station in eastern Ukraine. Viewer discretion is advised for the following footage. The mayor of the town says about 4,000 people were at the train station trying to escape the war. Ukrainian President Zelensky called the missile strike a deliberate attack on civilians. But the Russian Defense Ministry said the Ukrainian military was responsible for the attack and that the Ukrainian forces are the only ones who use that type of missile. Updates on Fox News reporter Benjamin Hall, who was wounded in Ukraine last month in an accident that left two other Fox colleagues dead. In a tweet he later deleted, Hall said, To sum it up, I've lost half a leg on one side and a foot on the other. One hand is being put together, one eye is no longer working, and my hearing is blown. But he added that he felt lucky to be here. And it's not clear why Hall deleted the Twitter post, which also included a photo of him in a hospital bed. Officials previously said a vehicle that Hall was traveling in was hit by gunfire near Kyiv in March. Details about the attack are not clear, but Ukrainian officials have alleged that Russian forces were behind the assault. Moscow hasn't publicly commented on the matter. 
Ukrainian forensic experts are working to identify the bodies that might otherwise remain anonymous amid the fog of war. The information they collect could feed into possible war crimes investigations. NTD's Chenny Wu has more. In the Ukrainian town of Bucha, forensic investigators began exhuming bodies from a mass grave on Friday, laying out and wrapping the remains of civilians who officials say were killed during the Russian invasion. Out of 20 bodies, we have 18 with gunshot wounds and shrapnel wounds. Two bodies show massive wounds from shrapnel, and we were able to inspect only the individual body parts. Ruslan Kravchenko from the prosecutor's office in Bucha said two women have been identified, one of whom had worked at a local supermarket. He says there are witnesses who can confirm that Russian forces killed these people without provocation, adding that the forensic investigators are working to determine what exactly happened to those buried in the mass grave. Since Russian troops pulled back from Bucha last week, the city's deputy mayor said more than 360 civilians were found dead. NTD cannot independently verify these claims or figures, but the deaths of civilians in Bucha have been condemned by the West as war crimes. However, the Kremlin has said allegations that Russian forces committed war crimes by executing civilians in Bucha were a monstrous forgery aimed at denigrating the Russian army. Also on Friday, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen paid a visit to Bucha. It is the unthinkable has happened here. We have seen the cruel face of um, Putin's army. We have seen the recklessness and the cold-heartedness with which they have been occupying the city. Authorities in Kyiv have reached out to the International Commission on Missing Persons to identify the dead and also document how they died, information that could feed into war crimes investigations. Chenny Wu, NTD News. After her visit to Bucha earlier today, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen pledged to offer Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky a speedier start to Ukraine's bid to become a member of the European Union. She underlined the sanctions imposed on Russia over its invasion of Ukraine, saying Russia will descend into economic, financial and technological decay, while Ukraine is marching towards the European future. And President Putin's spokesperson has admitted Russian troops are suffering significant losses in Ukraine, which observers see as striking, considering Russia's Ministry of Defense said two weeks ago that nearly 1,400 soldiers have died. Russia quit the UN Human Rights Council after it was suspended yesterday. Here's NTD's Joanne Robson with this report. Russia has admitted suffering significant losses of troops in Ukraine. President Putin's spokesperson Dmitry Peskov told Sky News that it is a huge tragedy for us. On March 25th, one month into the war, Russia's Ministry of Defense said nearly 1,400 soldiers had died, while Ukraine put the number at almost 19,000. Peskov hinted the war might be over in the foreseeable future, either because Russia has reached its goals or through negotiations with Ukraine. He said our military are doing their best to bring an end to that operation. Peskov said the primary goal of the operation was to assist the self-claimed independent Luhansk People's Republic and Donetsk People's Republic. Joanne Robson, NTD News. Food prices across the world rose at their fastest pace on record in March. The UN Food and Agriculture Organization says its food price index made a giant leap last month, 
rising 13% to an all-time high. Vegetable oil, cereals and meat prices all hit record highs. The agency says the war in Ukraine is the main factor driving up grain prices, including corn and wheat. With the war raging, the country's main Black Sea ports have been blocked off. This has led to difficulties exporting grain and other goods. Aid agencies warn that disruption to Ukraine's food exports means some heavily reliant countries, like Egypt and Turkey, have to find alternate supplies or face food shortages. Up next, after three years of bail reform, New York is now rolling back. The governor announced new rules along with the state budget. And Will Smith was all over the news after the Oscars. That probably won't happen again anytime soon as he's banned from the Academy for the next 10 years. More in a moment here on NTD News. Nation Speaks, we don't just scratch the surface. We want to go wide and deep. Our viewers come away with a much richer understanding of the issues of the day. We really make a big effort to bring on different voices onto the show. We don't just talk to experts and newsmakers, which of course are extremely important, but we also want to hear from the American people. So the people who are impacted by the policies and issues that we're talking about, because what they have to say is just as important to the national conversation. Changes are coming to New York State. Yesterday, the governor announced an agreement on next year's budget, which reflects a few changes in current laws, including crime laws. NTD's Arian Pazdar has more from Manhattan. Lawmakers in Albany agreed on a $220 billion budget for 2023. That's the highest budget ever. It includes different things, such as a pause on the state's gas tax and changes to the state's infamous bail reform which some say led to a spike in violent crime. I want to stop this, this cycle of violence. Some of the changes include giving judges more discretion to set bail, making it easier to set bail for repeat offenders, gun offenses and gun trafficking, and making all hate crimes bail eligible. I spoke with former Brooklyn assistant district attorney Mark Ruskin. He says giving judges more discretion is a good thing because... Individuals arrested for serious crimes are back on the street before the police have even finished doing their paperwork. But he doesn't think all hate crimes should necessarily be bail eligible. If someone takes a baseball bat and bashes in someone's head, regardless of the reason that they're doing it, they've committed a violent felony, maybe attempted murder. He also says that even if all these changes will be implemented and judges will be given more discretion to set bail, it's still up to the district attorney whether or not to prosecute a case. And in terms of finances... We are going to suspend from June 1st to December 31st the state's, the state's sales tax on fuel. It's estimated that New Yorkers will save around $5 when they get a full tank of gas. And also included in the budget was a new football stadium for the Buffalo Bills. Arian Pastar, NTD News, New York. Former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo will not run against his Democrat colleagues in this year's primaries. The deadline to submit the necessary signatures for him to be on the Democrat ballot has passed. Although he won't be running as a Democrat, Cuomo can still run as an independent if he chooses to. 
He has to collect 45,000 petition signatures by the end of May to be listed on the ballot. However, it is believed that he will not do that. Cuomo resigned last year amid scandals, including sexual harassment and COVID deaths in nursing homes. He still had many supporters even after his resignation. Did you know you can make almost $100,000 per year working as a truck driver for Walmart? The company just decided to raise its starting salary for first-year drivers. NTD's Jason Perry has the details. Walmart. One of the few companies that runs its own trucking fleet is making major changes to strengthen its supply chain. One of those changes is raising the average starting salary for first-year drivers to a range of $95,000 up to $110,000 per year. The demand for driver and demand for a qualified, experienced driver is increased so much that six figures is not out of the ordinary. John Esparza is the president and CEO of the Texas Trucking Association, which, according to its website, serves as the unified voice for the trucking industry in Texas. He explained that as a generation of truck drivers have retired, companies haven't been doing enough to attract the next generations into trucking. And Walmart appears to be doing something about that by trying to hire Walmart supply chain workers to become truck drivers. But it could be risky for an inexperienced truck driver to handle an 80,000-pound vehicle. They're going to mitigate risk by ensuring their education of those drivers goes up. Their mentorship of their drivers continues to be a focus. That is the best way to mitigate risk. The median pay in 2020 for heavy truck and tractor trailer drivers was $47,000, according to the latest Bureau of Labor Statistics data, which is about half the new starting salary for a Walmart truck driver. Jason Perry, NTD News. At this year's Oscars, Will Smith gave a slap that was heard around the world. It seemed like Smith might get away with it without any major repercussions, but he resigned from the Oscars on April 1st, and now he's banned from the, the award for the next 10 years. Smith says he, quote, accepts and respects the Academy's decision to ban him for the next 10 years. The longtime actor won his first Oscar just minutes after slapping presenter Chris Rock in the face while he was on stage. Smith was reacting to a joke Rock made about Smith's wife, who suffers from an illness that causes baldness. Tiger Woods completed his first round of competitive golf in more than 17 months yesterday, finishing with a one under par 71. The score was good enough for 10th place, but can he repeat it for the remaining three rounds? NTD's Dave Martin has more. Tiger Woods' surgically repaired leg was good enough for him to finish just four shots behind the leader after one round. If you talk to Tiger, though, the real challenge was walking the course in pain. No, it did not. It, not, it did not get easier. Put it that way. Um, the, I can I can swing a golf club. It's the the walking is not 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 easy it's, and it's, it's difficult. Woods was on his legs for roughly five and a half hours in order to finish his 18 holes. Amazingly, his 71 score was right in line with his career average at Augusta National, a course he's won five times before. Still, one would think repeating that three more times on a leg that was rebuilt just 14 months ago with rods and screws and pins would only get harder. It's a challenge he seems to accept. There's no one going to shelter, uh, shoulder the load besides me, and uh, i got to figure out a way to do it. Woods has historically played his best when the spotlight was brightest. 
His epic U.S. Open win in 2008 came despite a torn ACL and two stress fractures in his leg that required surgery the following week. The win was highlighted with an amazing 60-foot putt at the end of the third round to put him in the lead and thrill the crowd, something he's always loved doing. And he's happy to be in the spotlight again this week. I mean, the, the, the place was electric. To have it, uh, the patrons fully out and to have that type of energy out there was, was, was awesome to feel. The second round of the Masters is currently underway. Dave Martin, NTD News. And this just in from the second round at the Masters, Tiger Woods finished two over par with a score of 74. He's now at one over par for the tournament. Tennis star Serena Williams is hinting that she might return to play Wimbledon this year. The 40-year-old hasn't played since last year's Wimbledon when she retired during her first round match with a hamstring injury. Williams made the announcement with a video on her Instagram story with none other than NFL star Aaron Rodgers. Said Williams, we've been talking about my comeback and he's been hyping me up and getting me ready for Wimbledon. Williams has won 23 Grand Slam titles, just one behind Margaret Court's record. Her last one came at the 2017 Australian Open. This year's Wimbledon play starts June 27th. The New York Yankees and outfielder Aaron Judge say they've, they've failed to reach an agreement on a contract extension and hope to resume talks after the season. Judge had set opening day as the deadline to come to terms. Yankees general manager Brian Cashman said Friday they offered Judge an eight-year contract worth up to $234.5 million dollars. The 29-year-old outfielder, a three-time All-Star, will be eligible for free agency following the season. The Yankees with Judge won their opener today over the Boston Red Sox 6-5 in a game that went 11 innings. Judge had two hits and scored a run. The three-game series will resume tomorrow at Yankee Stadium. Over to the UK, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson welcomed German Chancellor Olaf Scholz to the UK today to discuss the war in Ukraine. They held a joint press conference on Scholz's first visit to London since he took power. This is not easy for any of us, and I applaud the seismic decisions taken by Olaf's government to move Germany away from Russian hydrocarbons. Today we have agreed to maximize the potential of the North Sea and collaborate on energy security and on renewables, where Germany and the UK lead the way in new technology. We cannot transform our respective energy systems overnight, but we also know that Putin's war will not end overnight. This comes after EU foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell revealed earlier this week that the bloc has sent Russia nearly £30 billion in energy payments since the start of the war in February. Before the Chancellor arrived, the German Defence Ministry announced that it would no longer be sending 100 tanks to Ukraine. The armoured personnel carriers were part of a plan spearheaded by the Vice-Chancellor and Foreign Minister. But a Defence Ministry spokesman said the plan was no longer feasible because Germany has to fulfil its national defence obligations. Coming up, California lawmakers voted on a bill that aims to decriminalise pregnancy loss after birth. But critics say the current wording could legalize infanticide. And speaking of California, the state is desperate for teachers, especially after firing those who didn't agree to jab mandates. About three quarters of LA's newly hired teachers don't have credentials. That and more here on NTD News.
California state lawmakers are proposing a bill that decriminalizes pregnancy loss. But opponents of the bill say the new laws could legalize infanticide. NTD Cynthia Kai brings us a closer look at the bill. The State Assembly Judiciary Committee passed a proposed bill to bar criminal prosecution into the suspicious death of an unborn or newborn. Assemblywoman Buffy Wicks introduced Assembly Bill 2223 in February. AB 2223 is intended to protect against the criminalization of pregnancy outcomes and people should not be uh, and people should not be subject to prosecution for any uh, tragic situation that may happen during the pregnancy. Wicks said during the April 5th hearing that the bill decriminalizes pregnancy loss. Prosecutors in this state have charged people with homicide offenses for pregnancy loss. Two examples are the cases of Chelsea Becker and Adora Perez, two California women who were recently prosecuted and imprisoned for their stillbirths. Becker and Perez both experienced stillbirths after consuming methamphetamine during their pregnancies. Samantha Lee, the attorney for Chelsea Becker, expressed support for the bill at the hearing. Meanwhile, hundreds of opponents appeared in person or called into the committee to express their concerns. According to AB 2223, a mother or healthcare provider's actions or omissions cannot be held responsible for miscarriage, stillbirth, or abortion, or perinatal death of a baby. But perinatal is not precisely defined in the bill. Dean Broyles, attorney and president of the National Center for Law and Policy, said, depending on how the term perinatal is interpreted by the courts, this bill legalizes the infanticide of children several weeks after their birth and possibly as late as their first birthday. Existing law requires a county coroner to investigate the death of an unborn or newborn baby after 20 weeks into pregnancy, resulting from suspected self-induced or criminal abortion. AB 2223 would make it so that the coroner would no longer be required to investigate such deaths. The coroner's statement would be prohibited from being used on a death certificate for prosecution in such cases. In the end, lawmakers voted to advance the bill. AB 2223 was referred to the Assembly Health Committee for another hearing at a later date. The Los Angeles Unified School District hired over 2,000 new teachers this school year, but nearly three-quarters of the teachers hired were not fully credentialed. The new report comes amid a teacher shortage in the district. NTD Cynthia Kai brings us the details. A new quarterly report shows that only 26% of new teachers hired in Los Angeles Unified School District are fully credentialed. We have hired 2,336 teachers. Of those, 956 have gone to Seni High and Highest, but 607 fully credentialed teachers are taking advantage of those stipends. That means around 1,700 teachers are without full credentials. During the March 29th Board of Education meeting, school officials said some public school districts, including LAUSD, hire teachers without credentials through an internship program. To teach in California, individuals must go through a two-tier credential process. They first earn a preliminary teaching credential in either a single subject or multiple subjects. They then need a clear credential after all requirements are met. In LAUSD, the 607 newly hired teachers with clear credentials are eligible to receive a $5,000 signing bonus. 
They will be assigned to the district's 300 highest-need schools, including those with high rates of chronic absenteeism, foster and homeless youth, and suspension rates. The remaining 74% of LAUSD's new hires who are uncredentialed can earn their credentials through LAUSD's Intern Credentialing and Added Authorization Program. These numbers come amid reports that LAUSD has been facing a teacher shortage since the beginning of this school year. The district reported in December 2021 that it fired 496 staff members for non-compliance with the COVID-19 vaccine mandate. On April 5th of this year, the LAUSD Board of Education approved firing another 59 teachers for non-compliance with the mandate. The March 29th report did not specify how many teacher vacancies still remain. A crowd gathered outside of Disney's headquarters in Los Angeles to protest a recently passed Florida law regarding gender identity. They held signs and chanted, Boycott Disney. Here's more from NTD's Eileen Ang. Go woke, go broke was a central message from protesters who gathered outside the Walt Disney Company's Burbank headquarters on Wednesday. About 150 people attended the rally in opposition to the company's stance against the recently passed Florida law that prohibits schools from teaching their youngest students about sexual orientation and gender identity. According to Rob McCoy, the former mayor of Thousand Oaks and pastor at Godspeak Calvary Chapel, it's absolutely a necessary event. He said many people were raised on Disney films, but now the iconic family entertainment company has been taken over by a woke agenda. Florida passed a parental rights law in March that prohibits public school teachers from teaching lessons on sexual orientation or gender identity or any instruction that is not age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate with children in kindergarten through third grade. Disney took a stance against the legislation after company employees staged a walkout protest against the bill at its Florida resort. According to a Disney spokesperson, Florida's HB 1557, also known as the Don't Say Gay Bill, should never have been passed and should never have been signed into law. The company was standing up for the rights and safety of LGBTQ members. The group plans to continue protesting Disney and any elected official who supports extending the company's copyright license for its Mickey Mouse mascot character. In two years, the copyright will expire and enter into public domain. The Biden administration is facing pushback for its stance on gender-affirming treatments for gender dysphoric minors. This comes after the White House Thursday slammed Republicans for policies it says harm transgender children and may be unconstitutional. NTD's Grace Coulter has the details. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki on Thursday accused Republican lawmakers of harming transgender youth. She pointed to legislation that bans doctors from performing gender reassignment surgery on minors and from administering puberty blockers. Saki claimed Republicans are focusing on this instead of kitchen table issues. Republican lawmakers are currently debating legislation that, among many things, would target trans use with tactics that threatens to put pediatricians in prison if they provide medically necessary life-saving health care for the kids they serve. Saki went on to expound on what she meant by life-saving care. Every major medical association agrees that gender-affirming health care for transgender kids is a best practice and potentially life-saving. 
Saki was alluding to the notion that those experiencing gender dysphoria may become suicidal and end their lives if they don't undergo such procedures. But while Saki called the moves by Republicans political attacks, some are calling her comments extreme and out of touch with American parents. Abigail Schreier, journalist and author of Irreparable Damage, the transgender craze seducing our daughters, immediately slammed Saki's comments. She wrote, There is in fact no proof that affirmative care improves mental health of gender dysphoric youth long term, much less that its interventions are life-saving. Schreier noted that there are many risks to puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and gender reassignment surgeries, such as permanent sexual dysfunction and infertility. The author went on to say that unlike what Saki said, this is a kitchen table issue that real-world Americans are very concerned about. She said thousands of desperate worried parents write to her daily about their daughters suddenly experiencing gender dysphoria. Saki said that the Department of Justice and HHS has put the states considering banding gender-related procedures for minors on notice. She said that the legislation may violate the Constitution and federal law. The Alabama legislator passed such legislation on Thursday. The governor is yet to indicate whether or not he will sign it into law. Grace Coulter, NTD News. And this just in, Alabama Governor Kay Ivey signed into law the bill barring gender-affirming medications and surgeries for youth under 19 years old. The governor also signed into law a bill mirroring Florida's parental rights and education bill. It bans lessons and specific discussion on gender identity and sexuality for kids K through 5th grade. It also requires children in public schools to use the locker and restrooms that match their biological sex. Texas officials say the state holds one of the highest records of fraudulent vehicle license plates, which are tied to increasing crime. Authorities and law enforcement in Harris County, Texas, are now joining hands to tackle this issue together. Here's more. Officials in Texas say one of the biggest concerns right now is fraudulent vehicle license plates. Police say criminals can use such plates to avoid getting caught and get away with crime. But according to one city councilman, that trend might change. You have to understand that criminals, they don't like to be caught. That means criminals don't like to be where cameras are. Texas district officials are now helping the police by installing license plate readers to record pictures of passing cars and their plates. Uh, the license plate readers will be able to still take a still photo of that car with a fake plate, be able to determine if it's a fake plate or not and then also be able to look at the make and model of the vehicle. A local official explains how the readers can help police catch suspects. An officer could be maybe down the street and they get an alert that a stolen uh, car with a stolen uh, license plate, you know, has just crossed this certain uh, flock camera and maybe they can then go investigate and go pursue it. Authorities expect to expand this network and plan to install more camera readers in the area really you'll be able to fully track where that vehicle is coming from. It's going to be another tool and using technology to aid in solving crime. It is unclear right now where or when the cameras will be installed. As cryptocurrency investment is on the rise, so are crypto romance scams. Con artists use crypto's potential lucrative return to steal substantial amounts of money from victims who believe they're in relationships. Financial scamming through false romantic relationships is not new, but using cryptocurrency to scam is an emerging trend. 
Victims are not only left with broken hearts, but also broken bank accounts. Illinois police spoke to the public about two recent romance scams. A romance scam is actually a very long-term scam. The scammer really puts in a lot of time and a lot of effort to persuade the victim that they're trustworthy. So how these scams have all begun is on either dating applications or social media applications where the scammer uh, will introduce themselves to the victim and strike up a conversation. After several weeks or months of text messages and phone calls, victims begin to trust the scammers and believe they are in a relationship. And it's not a relationship at all, but the scammer is that good uh, to make the victims believe that they actually are in a relationship. After the trust is built, the scammers begin to discuss how lucrative it is to invest in cryptocurrency. And first, the scammer will introduce one that's a legitimate cryptocurrency exchange, maybe Binance, maybe Coinbase, something that's popular. So when the victim uh, transfers money into their cryptocurrency wallet um, and, and invests it into different uh, cryptocurrencies, they see their money, they see it fluctuate, they see it go up, they see it go down, they can withdraw it when they want. It's all very legitimate because it's on a legitimate platform. Now that the victim has no reason to doubt, the scammer convinces them to move their money to another platform. So this other platform is actually a platform, it looks real, but it's controlled by the scammer. So as soon as the victim puts their money into this new platform, the scammer has full control of it and can withdraw the money and take it and it's gone. It's gone forever. Deputy Chief Cavelli warns the public to be very wary of meeting somebody online. Don't give them any personal information. Don't ever click any links that they're sending you to transfer any money. And don't go with any recommendation that they have to transfer any money. Before you invest in cryptocurrency, research to verify the sites and companies for legitimacy. The two victims in Illinois have lost over $3 million to the scam, and it's very difficult for law enforcement to recover the money because oftentimes scammers are from foreign countries. Coming up, with Marine Le Pen rising in the polls before Sunday's election, is President Macron paying the price of public scandals? And Shanghai is facing a food dilemma amid the lockdown. Even Chinese billionaires are struggling. That and more coming up on NTD News. Going to France, the first round of the French presidential election will be held this Sunday. President Macron, who was once seen to beat all his challengers in his re-election bid, has lost ground to Marine Le Pen. Some observers say the French president is paying the price for various public scandals, including his ties to U.S. consultancy McKinsey. NTD's David Vives has more from Paris. The campaign for the French presidential election officially ended on Friday. And just days before Sunday's vote, President Emmanuel Macron voiced regret for starting campaigning late. Opinion polls showed him holding only a slender lead over nationalist Marine Le Pen. She's closer to an election victory than she has ever been. In her home base of Enambouement in northwest France, hope fills the air. We really feel a sense of hope. I mean, even if we don't really believe in polls, they have never been that high for her. Le Pen was Macron's only challenger in the 2017's second round of election, but lost at 33% of votes against 66% for Macron. 
According to the managing director of a polling institute, many voters this time will not resort to block voting against Le Pen if she persists into the second round, a situation that led Macron to victory the last time. He says it's uncertain of what's going to happen on Sunday. Marine Le Pen has never been this capable of winning a presidential election. Today she's coming at a high level of intended votes and with the capacity to take advantage of voting switch-ups that are high. Le Pen has successfully softened her image and centered her campaign on sinking standards of living while promising to cut taxes. Macron's re-election seemed to be a foregone conclusion just weeks ago. The president never debated his opponents, hardly campaigned, but rather took advantage of his position as a leader during the Ukraine crisis. But during the last two weeks, Macron became embroiled in different public scandals. First there was the McKinsey affair. Macron's government's extensive use of consultancy firms has been called out by senators. They found that the administration spent about £750 million in consultants. This includes US firm McKinsey, which provided free services to Macron when he was still a minister. In response, France's financial prosecutor in Paris this week decided to open an investigation into this. Then there was the Rothschild affair. A team of investigative journalists recently claimed that Macron has stashed away millions of euros he earned when he was working for the investment bank in tax havens. One major issue of this election is purchasing power for families, so it remains to be seen if voters will have these affairs in mind when they cast their ballots this weekend. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. And France's embassy in Beijing says French citizens under lockdown in Shanghai will be unable to vote in Sunday's presidential election. Repeated approaches to Chinese authorities seeking permission to open a polling station inside Shanghai's French consulate were rejected. It's a shame as it's the first time that I am not able to vote. We don't have many opportunities to voice our opinions because French people living abroad have few opportunities to vote. Shanghai is home to nearly 5,000 registered French voters. They will not be allowed to leave their homes as Shanghai faces the worst virus outbreak since the pandemic began. Votes can only be cast in person or via proxy. But applications to vote by proxy must be completed well in advance, and in most cases must include a visit in person to designated locations such as a police station or a consulate. Polling stations in six of the Chinese cities, including Beijing and Guangzhou, will be opened as planned. A second round of voting will take place on April the 24th. Amid Shanghai's now indefinite lockdown, residents are struggling to get food. Even a Chinese billionaire in Shanghai is facing difficulties getting the food she needs. NTD's Don Ma has the story. Can any neighbor introduce me to the bread buying group? My family has a lot of people. We need bread and milk. This was the message for help Chinese billionaire Kathy Shishin wrote on Chinese social media. She's among Forbes's top venture capitalists in the world. She lives in a high-end villa in Shanghai, and even she's having a hard time getting what she needs. Many residents are struggling to get food as they're not allowed to leave home amid the lockdown. A number of locals told us over the phone that they are seriously short on supplies. Firstly, I can't order food delivery. And secondly, even if I order food delivery, I have no way to go pick it up right now. As a result, I now have nothing. No water, no fruit. I have only one or two containers of yogurt left, and that's only because I bought it before the lockdown started. 
I don't have any food at home. I called community authorities and said, you didn't tell us before you locked the community down, and now I don't have food at home. He said, no food? Solve it yourself if you don't have food. Riots have even erupted in Shanghai because people are starving. On Chinese social media platform Weibo, the hashtag Shanghai scrambling for food has been viewed over 1.4 billion times, with the majority of netizens expressing discontent under the hashtag. Shanghai is the richest city in China by per capita income. One netizen wrote on Weibo, this is outrageous. A cosmopolitan city in 2022 is experiencing a famine. So why aren't locals getting enough food? One possible reason is there isn't enough personnel to help deliver food to a city of 25 million. Footage shows mountains of food just rotting in markets because no one is delivering it. Don Ma, NTD News. Coming up, losing a Grammy Award would disappoint any musician. But to one Chicago music teacher, losing one may not be all that bad. It could be the beginning of a new chapter. We'll bring you more shortly here on NTD News. Losing a Grammy Award would disappoint any musician. But for one Chicago music teacher, receiving a nomination is an achievement in and of itself. Here's his story. What you just heard earned Trevor Nicholas a semi-finalist spot during this year's Grammy Awards. Nicholas didn't win the Educator Award, but he was excited the Academy recognized him for the heart that went into creating the song, Who Will Carry Me? Nicholas is the director of vocal ensembles at Chicago's Sen High School. He's also a grad student. During the 2019-2020 school year, he decided to include his students in his Master of Music Education graduate project. When the pandemic hit and the lockdowns began, his project took on a deeper meaning. I was really down because I couldn't care for my students. I couldn't have those conversations with them. I couldn't encourage them face to face. The, the tools that I'd used to get them through those difficult times, a kind word, saying their name, welcoming them, all of these little uh, strings of community weren't there. At the same time, the lockdown had isolated students from their friends and deprived them of opportunities to learn together. For a long time, I tried to just like hide in my room and like not come out and not do anything. Almost depressing in a way, the fact that we were just on e-learning because you can't really have a choir over like over Google Meet. Sharing the same emotions, Nicholas wanted to comfort the students with his music and lyrics. So uh, I wrote these words for them to sing, who will carry me? While I am alone, who will hold me close and keep me bright? School closures made singing together impossible. So Nicholas asked his students, alumni, and colleagues to send him video clips of them singing, dancing, and playing instruments. So I spent five days of very little sleep, deeply enjoying the artistic process of editing this video. I think the biggest moment is when they saw that final product and they said, oh my goodness, we did this thing together. And it's awesome. It sounds great. 
and it looks great. Nicholas received high praise for his work, including congratulations from renowned cellist Yo-Yo Ma. The high school teacher says he's grateful for the Grammy nomination. To him, Who Will Carry Me embodies an educator's mission of dedication to his students' well-being. Fans of the Grammy-nominated song can hear a sequel. Nicholas and his students have just released a new music video, The Cave, on YouTube's Sen Arts channel. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.